for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And tonight we're here to discuss the fourth, fifth, and sixth episodes of NBC's This Is Us. Those episodes are called, in order, Flip a Coin, Storybook Love, and The Club. Of those three, Paul, which one did you like the best? Probably The Club. Oh, I like that. I like that. I thought that the structure that they tried to create in Storybook Love felt a little overwrought to mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. with the the meal name cards or whatever you call them coming up. and Oh, yes, 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 yes. But then they didn't stick to like... <clears throat> By meal name cards, he means like, if you remember the episode, it was like in between different scenes, they would put like appetizer, dessert, entree, whatever. And it was like a little like, what? And when I've seen that, um, structure used in movies that I like. It's like a it's like a song. They repeat the same structure over and over so that it's A, B, C, D, then A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D. You know, it's like that. And okay. they didn't do that in this. They kind of did. There were some that, that they that never didn't have. That never didn't have. Like, I think there was always a clip of young Rebecca and Jack. Okay, in, but, yes. But sometimes current day Kate wove in and other times she didn't. I Yeah, you're right. I wonder why they decided to just like jump into that structure and try something like that, especially so many seasons in that feels a little bit like mm, if you're going to do that, that's the type of like kind of show gimmicky kind of thing that you need to do from the start. You know, like you just do something like that every single time. Like we're watching The Watchmen right now. And I love how when they overlay the title into like the cold open and it's just sort of like peeled on the wall or it might be like on the, you know, in a field or something. It's very like, stylish. It's very stylish but but it's like when you make a choice like that you got to just like keep the choice so it felt weird to just have that thrown in like that despite the fact that yes it was a meal and blah 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 but this wasn't even a family that would have things like appetizers and stuff like that like this is just like a regular family kind of meals they were having so it like the categories didn't even work for me i didn't dislike the episode and i'm looking at the imdb ratings right now and it shows the people in comparison to the other two rated this one the highest by a margin of 0.4. I mean, we can get into it, but I mean, there's, I think that, well, obviously kids, we're going to get into it, but, but I mean, there's parts to it that I really didn't like. And there's parts to it that I felt like I was like, Ooh, more mystery. I love that. You know, I was, Mm. I'm ready for more nibbles and bites about like the, the mysteriousness and the, you know, unraveling of the story. What's been missing from the show since they told us how Jack died, basically. Yeah. And, and this is, this is, these are only small nips. I mean, obviously we have the overarching this season of like, you know, Rebecca's illness. What is it? What happened? What, you know, we've already seen last season at the finale that she was looking like she was on her deathbed. So, you know, we have that overarching, but it's not like we've been dabbling heavily into that, you know, throughout the season. Not at all. So we need like a little mystery. That's what makes this a fun show for us. Let's get into some flashbacks, Paul. And if you guys remember the way that we're structuring these try episode podcast, if you will, is that we are... Megasodes. Go with the branding. Oh, sorry. Megasodes. We are going to put all the flashbacks and then we're going to put everything having to do with Kate Toby. We're going to have everything having to do with Kevin. Everything having to do with Randall and Beth as big clumps and talk about what their character did in those three episodes in totality. Let's start with uh, Rebecca and Jack in the in the very young days. 
two different sections. Rebecca, we mostly see moving in the house, right? Yeah, this was confusing because she was pregnant and they had moved into the house. And you guys can correct all of this, you know, as much as you would like. But I was confused because my memory served that in the pilot, when she goes into labor, that they're in the apartment still. And that's where she does her like little lingerie dance over her pregnant belly. So I'm kind of confused about why we're unpacking boxes in a house and she doesn't have any babies. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not, not as I'm not as clear sure See, where we are. I remember they were like, didn't they have to deal with stairs or something right then? I can't remember. But they I mean the, the bedroom's upstairs. So like when they needed to go, like I don't know. That seems to remember that there was like stairs in the shot. I might be making that up. Uh, of what though? Go where? To the hospital? Yeah. Well, maybe they could have been on like the second story. Like, I don't know. But it was, but do you remember her coming out of the bathroom? And it was mm-hmm. like very specifically, the shot was a very small room, very small bedroom to the point where we're like, when she opened the door to the bathroom, which was like on the screen to your like upper left, right? Left, correct. <laughs> Say that better. Um, she came out from there and he was like laying back on the bed and his feet were like practically right where she walked out. So that's not their bedroom of the next house where we know they have a big bed and their bathrooms on the other side of the room. Hmm. We've seen all that. So I'm kind of like, I'm a little confused. You guys can set it straight. I'm just because this is obviously the kitchen where the kids grew up. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, those are two different houses. We just haven't seen this or something like, no, this is the same house. So I'm a wee confused about when they actually moved in here. Having said that, I thought that being consistent with that Rebecca is a really crummy cook, I think is funny because she's like always having a problem coming through with the cooking, including if you guys remember past like Thanksgiving episodes and she was like really nerved up cooking to take to her parents' house. It was like a really big deal to her that she did the right thing. And yeah, just like that she's just consistently not great at cooking. It was funny. But I know your most favorite part was definitely the bird and Jack's antics. Definitely. The way she describes what he did, but then the way he acted it, where he where he slips out the side of the... Like, it's very slapstick in, in a moment in a show that really doesn't do physical humor at all. So to see it, just a moment of it so well executed was... Well, his face was so cartoony. Like, his eyes were so like, oh, yeah, oh, <laughs> you know, and he runs back in with, like, the, the tennis racket and stuff. Like, it was, it was funny. I mean, you legitimately laughed out loud, and that's, like, one of those times when you're like, you kind of need little, like, moments. Like oh, I rewound that. it for you. I know you You did. were looking away. I was like, oh, you gotta see this. Because <laughs> he does a total, like, shaggy and scooby out, out of the frame. He does. It was really funny. I liked it very much. So, So that whole thing, did it work for you with the whole like, you know, salvaging the dinner, which is what I'm going to tell you guys over these the course of these three episodes. What I would like to say is that the theme would be like salvaging a situation could be the theme of these three such these three episodes. So in this case, you have the bird dinner. You've got like can't find a table leg. You got a bird in the house, you know, and we end up ordering pizza. Um, and how that they could do that and and not like spend the rest of the night crying over the lasagna or crying over the bird, you know, whatever, but be able to pivot and move on. Did that all work for you? Did you feel good about that? I, I agree that that's a good theme for these three episodes. But I think if we examine larger patches of episodes, we might find that the us in this is uh, are coping up in here all the time. 
I completely agree with you, but I think these are like, I mean, obviously in every story, you have to have some sort of conflict and you have to have some sort of resolution. So that's going to be a whole thing. But I feel like in this case, individual Pearsons made a choice to salvage a situation. And over Mm -hmm. the course of these three episodes, Kate makes a very specific choice. Kevin makes a specific choice. Randall leads a specific choice. Jack with like the whole, like, you know, trying to protect Rebecca and ordering the pizza and all that stuff. Like specific choices on Pearson family members that end up pivoting the situation and salvaging it. We're going to talk about Rebecca in other people's flashbacks, but these were sections that were just hers. Similarly, there's one section that's just Jack's, and that occurred in the club episode when he has to go golfing with Rebecca's dad. Do you know Rebecca's dad's name? Oh, God. I know that he he sings the Give My Love a Chicken. It had no bones from Animal House. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. He sits on the steps. He plays the guitar yeah. until... Belushi destroys it. Yeah, that's really him. Wow, that is an amazing eye. Uh, oh, I don't think I'm the first to recognize that because I think that's what was like a lot of people were saying it was super funny. I was like, uh, that's too funny that it's actually him. These two are still at war over Rebecca. Do you think that all of his condescension is conscious? Like he he knows that he's saying things, talking down to him. I mean, it's embarrassing to be a grown man and have another guy be like, I got you an interview. And it's like in, in front of all these other grown men and be like, uh, yeah, you know, I didn't, no one even asked. I uh, think that that's like, you know, that whole alpha male, like trying to, you know, have a little bit of an edge, you know, like, okay, so fine. You're sleeping with my daughter, but you're going to still respect me kind of thing. Um, P.S. I'm going to give you some back information here. Tim Matheson is his, the actor's name. Eric Otter Stratton was his name in Animal House. So there you go, yo. Anyway, so I do you think it's really that out of character of a dad, though? Because I, I feel like I've seen it tons of times. And I don't know if... Oh, definitely not. Especially in that time frame for a dad to be very protective and kind of want his daughter to, to, to marry what they perceive on their level, right? I think that that's gone back to like caveman days and continues today for sure. Because, I mean, gosh, you're a dad yourself. I mean, don't you want your kids to feel like they're moving into whatever their next household situation is? It's at least equal to the home they're coming from. They don't go down in their their quality of life. And, you know, you want to feel like somebody who's if you can help that person. I think it's all about your approach. Like he could have easily spoken to Jack to the side and been like, you know, I respect you. I, I, you know, I know you just came back from being in the military. I don't know if you would like some contacts because you haven't been here to make them as a grown man. Um, you left when you were pretty young. So I'd be happy to, and I would really, you know, want to reach out and help. He could have done that privately, but you're hundred percent right. It's all in the approach. It's all the son, boy, that kind of talking down and in front of other men and all that stuff that just peters out. The part of the exchange that I think is probably the most telling on that note is that Jack almost hit him in the driveway. And that seemed to be his intention because he said something to the effect of that's the guy I knew was in there or something like that. And that seemed like he was trying to provoke something just to see if what would happen. But if you think about it, it's also sort of like trying to see if you can gauge what would provoke someone. So if you felt like someone was perhaps a little volatile, right? And your dad, you might want to poke the bear a little bit because you don't want your daughter to be the first one to poke the bear and get 
punched, right? Yeah. So maybe, maybe you can look at it like he's just sort of pushing on him, pushing on him, pushing on him. See if he breaks. See if he does stand up for himself. See how does he stand up for himself? Does he push? Does he punch? Or does he just stand on his own two feet and speak in a civilized manner? You know, which is pretty much the only outcome that wins in those situations. If you punch back or do any of those things, I think it's a it's a frown face on your report card from dad. <laughs> right. For me. It's, it's a you in conduct. Yeah, uh, so. exactly. And it's an N, Paul. Needs improvement. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, I guess, unsatisfactory. Yeah, that's, that's what it that's was. That's your school. That's where you come right. from. Yeah. Unsatisfactory land. Yeah. Oh, Lordy. Um, that entire golf experience for Jack, I mean, again, we're dealing with that sort of classism part of, you know, he doesn't want her to marry down. And, I, you know... I know that, I mean, you have some experience in this, in this realm in terms of golf specifically being a thing that men are supposed to know how to do. And that's where business deals are made and a lot of male bonding goes on. So do you feel like they got it right with Jack as like the guy who doesn't necessarily enjoy this? I think what they, what they got correct in this is what Jack learned by doing that with Rebecca's dad, which was that golf can be an important part in uh, businessmen's lives. And if that's the direction you want to go, it it should be something that you pick up, which is the advice he later gave to Randall. And Randall obviously took to heart. I kind of think of it personally the same way as, as Jack, which is, it's at one point in my life, I did try to learn it. And after a year of pounding away at it, I just wasn't any better. And Going to the golf course was like the first few holes with Randall where the men were laughing and, and, and just driving away and stuff. That was like the whole time. <laughs> and so it was like, this, this is an expensive hobby that's just humiliating. No thanks. Do you feel like it's antiquated or is it still accurate in that? Like, I know a lot of guys now who do stuff like top golf, more of a high tech version or point blank, go do other things. Like there are people who go do paintball or go do video games or stuff like that. So I guess that's more like a friend side, not a business side. If you want but in, like team bonding, like I mean, don't they do more team building stuff? That's not just like going to the golf course. Yes. But I would say it's antiquated in the sense that that the generations that are coming up, the non OK boomer generations aren't as stuck on golf. That's sure. That's for sure. But there are enough OK boomers still left that knowing golf speaks on to their language. And they're presently the the decision makers, the purse string holders, the those those people that you do want to have a relationship with. So. It's changing, but it's not worth dismissing at this point. It's super interesting because, I mean, golf becomes like a language unto itself amongst the different stories. And it, it does seem to be like basically lear learning like a foreign language. Like, can you walk the walk? Can you talk the talk within this class system, which includes this particular sport? It's like I feel like if you went up in echelon, you would need to know how to do like croquet and um, squash. Squash, maybe right, or maybe polo. Polo, that's a good one. Yachting. Yeah. Yes, yes. You'd need to know how to sail a boat. That would be like the next echelon, right? If you hmm. know how to, if you know how to sail a boat, you're like up. You go up a notch, right? So I do think that there that it is accurate that golf is probably the currency of the middle class, right? Even the, the solidly middle class. Mm. Since we're on the topic of golf. Let's hit Randall's story, starting from young Randall, and we're going to take him all the way up to current Randall. 
in Randall's storyline, continuing on with that thought of Jack having learned a lesson about golf, he decides to pass it on to Randall. Randall's going through sort of a, well, he's not going through anything. He's constantly going through trying to find out who he is as a as a human. And this particular chapter is when we introduce Mr. Lawrence into his life. And so this is a kind of a pivotal time time for him that's making Randall even more confused than normal and and his advice from dad about needing to learn golf is sort of not connecting exactly as as Jack would have hoped. I think that you're right. I mean, they're coming from two different points of view. So for Jack, he is trying to overcome that classism portion that, you know, look, I came from like lower class and I tried to fit in with middle class and I want you to be able to fit in in this world. And he's and Randall's coming from this the, from a racism standpoint and being like, I couldn't even join this club, you know, just like a, a, a split second ago. So, you know, the whole idea of you don't see me and you don't understand what my battles are is a huge theme for Randall always with when it comes to being adopted into a white family. Um, and I just think that Mr. Lawrence, I, th- I think, is a good ad. He's He's interesting because of the way that they introduced him being so rough on yeah. Randall, you know, with the, the um, shoes. Yeah. And just like, I, you know, I didn't, I, maybe that's good because maybe it would have felt too spoon fed if he was just like instant, you know, perfect mentor, but instead he challenged Randall and made him think a little bit more about how he was presenting himself. And it was sort of like Mr. Lawrence did see him. Like, I see you trying to fit in, but if you are really trying to fit in, it's not always about race. Like there's this class part too that comes into play, meaning you are at a private school and there's a dress code. I understand it's cool to wear this, but it's more important that you show that you can elevate yourself to this dress code level and everything than it is that you're like street cool at this point. So I thought that there was a lot going on there that Jack, I felt like really happy, seemed to care about understanding and wrapping his brain around. I don't know that Randall ever gives enough credence to Jack's journey in terms of like, there's a lot of, you know, you don't see me. I almost want to look at every single one of these kids and be like, did you ever see your father or your mother Hmm. ever? Did you ever see them? Did you ever realize what their journeys were? Because I think that when it comes to Jack, I don't really think, especially Randall, I think he pushes so hard about, well, you don't see my race. And it's like like what we just said, like he doesn't understand that Jack came from a different land, too, and is trying to live in this foreign world just as Randall is. Kids never do, though, do they? Right. But it's like, I don't know if we're going to get payoff on that because of how you have a flashback and you get to see people grow up. Yeah. Maybe later, you know, when we have him actually playing at the golf course and we see that he continues as a teenager, he actually is very good and everything, the way that he plays out. Maybe that's like his homage to his dad in that way. But actually understanding oh, honoring his 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 advice for sure. For sure. But but I'm saying like understanding that his dad was trying to overcome something through golf in the same way that Randall and the race area was trying to overcome that fact and be able to be places with uh that had historically not been diverse there's just not enough credence being given you know to like this blue collar versus middle class versus upper class struggle that is just as real you know fair yeah and maybe people would say it's not just as real because if you glance at someone maybe you don't know what class they are but if you glance at someone right away you know what color they are so you know at that level obviously it's different but i do think that jack does 
offer this part to him of being like, I want to fit in as bad as you want to fit in. Let me show you how I used golf to do that. I like that. That's good analysis, Caroline. Thanks, Paul. Slightly older Randall now at college. Yeah, I I liked this storyline of having Randall with Beth and having this be like this parents night or parents day kind of thing. I really liked being able to put the puzzle pieces together that Rebecca and Carol were going through the same thing at the same time. For whatever reason, even though I know very well when Jack passed away and, and certainly we saw Beth's father pass away, I don't know that I did the math that Carol and Rebecca would be going through about the same stages at about the same time. Did you realize that? Yeah, but it's so it's, smart. it's interesting how they're opposite sides of the of the spectrum, right? Where Rebecca wanted to wallow and let the kids wallow as long as they needed to wallow, whereas Carol, you could see where she might have gone home a couple days after, you know, the the husband died and and started putting his shit in a box to put in the garage. Well, let's be clear now. You know, they they had different deaths, and that matters a lot. So with Carol's husband or Beth's dad, he had an illness. He was sick. And so there was some amount of time to prepare. Not, a, not doesn't mean it's better, but it's different, especially the situation where you have the fire and you think this horrible thing's happened. And then you have this additional blindside tragedy that goes on where he actually dies. All of that would be to me, I think, so much more traumatic, you know, having a police officer show up at your door, getting a phone call that your child died. These things are more traumatic than being bedside when someone passes away, Mm -hmm. you know, in my opinion. And so I think that it's a little unfair to judge Rebecca as like not doing a good job, which is basically what Carol does. Like she doesn't. She dismisses her. Yeah. She just thinks she's not doing it right. Like, oh, that's a that's a bad way to grieve. And the reality is the source of your grief matters and it matters how it went down. We will have other people that we run across that'll say, oh, I was in the NICU too. And you start to talk to them and it's like, oh, you were there for like two days. Oh, your child was like never actually in ventilated or anything. Right. Like, and, and I'm not, we're not downplaying that, but we're just saying we had different walks. So our level of PTSD of the situation or grief from the situation is not going to be identical. That sudden nature of things too matters. You know, if you were at 38 weeks and they said, okay, we are going to go ahead and have to take the baby out. And you had any amount of time versus like the baby's here. (laughs) Very different experiences, you know? Good call. I appreciated that Carol's openness uh, provided Rebecca with a lot of push and she actually admired Carol from the get-go. I cannot think of a time when we've seen older Rebecca and older Carol together. Even though Carol's been around and has come you know, around Beth and stuff. I don't, we haven't seen them together. And I actually really look forward to that and kind of love it that they had this growth moment so long ago. I guess the other thing is though, Carol would be older than Rebecca, right? I mean, they seemed it. Yeah. Do you think that Carol's rejection or dismissal of Randall helped drive Beth to Randall's room that night? Yes. I do think that there's always that little bit of like, you know, he Randall's hardly categorized as a bad boy, okay? But if you get put on the bad list, you know, by your parents, I mean, of course, that makes him somewhat more, at least interesting, right? But I think that Randall did his own legwork in this. And the little, the lemon that he passes over to her at that lunch was everything. And anyone who doesn't get that or doesn't get the the gravity of that move, 
you haven't been together with a person long enough to realize that if someone would notice those small details and make your life more comfortable like that and think about you like that, oh my goodness, that's everything. For, for those of you guys who don't remember, he saw that she was drinking a soda and he remembered from the first date that she put lemon in her soda. So he brought a wedge of lemon to the table and gave it to her totally cash. He didn't, he wasn't like, oh, I noticed blah, 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 blah. He just passed over the lemon. Like they already had like an inside joke practically, you know, Mm. and that kind of like tenderness and intimacy with someone who you haven't been dating or doing anything. That's not something that happens all, all the time at all for people. They overlook a lot of details about other people. And the fact that he noticed, I think that really drove her the most but it doesn't hurt when your mom says you're not supposed to do that yeah that's a good way to drive someone directly into your other person's arms i don't know if you know but a lot of guys are not that thoughtful uh, i'm aware i'm aware yeah, yeah. and to notice details it's a, like it's that a shame. yeah uh, yeah it's funny because you know when it comes to guys and girls i don't know who's supposed to be what in terms of like the one who's like the larger view versus the one who's like the detail oriented one. I don't, is that, is that a guy girl thing? Is it, nah. is it specificity there? I don't think so. So for me though, I'm definitely like the wide angle lens. However, I do have that part of my personality that a hundred percent when I meet someone, I do try to pay attention to like, Oh, they are wearing purple shoes or they have this or that, or, you know, whatever I like their purse or whatever. I will notice specific choices choices that they've made and sort of start to formulate like, oh, if I ever had to give them a present, this is like something I would buy that would go with their stuff. I don't know what that is, though, because I think that that is detail oriented. But for you, like you're 100 percent detail oriented. Right. Like you're like all into the minutiae versus the big picture. There is no forest. There's only this tree. Yeah. And the bark is askew. <laughs> You'll be like, like, we'll be like trying to get ready for something. I'll be like, did you ever notice this bark? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to measure between the bark. I'm gonna be like, oh, did you notice there's like, you know, dog poop in the living room? <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> I do think though that like of the two of them, I would say that Beth is actually the bigger picture person and Randall does get bogged into minutiae. We've seen that happen with him where he's blown off meetings and done stuff. And that's actually what really leads into the club episode for him is that he has blown off everything with the one councilman so many times because he gets bogged into these situations. You know, someone comes in his office and he's all in, you know. Mm -hmm. And so this club thing, what did you think of how he played this? Because it wasn't revealed right away at the beginning of how he was playing the golf game and like what his long game was with him. Oh, I, I thought that was a pretty clever reveal, actually. I mean, he's going to have to still hold back quite a ways, but I I didn't give Randall enough credit on his long con, actually. That was well played, as they say. Understanding sometimes that you have to take like one step back in, in order to move like two steps forward is a very honed skill. That's something where you have to be willing to be humble and I would say borderline humiliated in order to allow a door to open. Because sometimes, you know, people have the idea that they just need to come in like bullheaded and stubborn and just push that door open. But if you kind of back off and be like, oh, if only someone could show me how to open this door, golly gee whiz, somebody will open it, you know, and things can happen. And so I thought he did really well with this. And I appreciated 
the complexity of the subtle moves that he did within that whole thing to make the councilman feel back empowered because he had felt so disrespected by the way that Randall was handling the relationship, that by bowing down to him quietly, just acting like, oh, I just can't hold these clubs, you know, it allowed the councilman to regain his upper hand status, which is where he needed to be in order for that relationship to work. That adds a very cool layer to Randall in that most of what we notice about him is that he does tend to put his head down and just go. Yes, the golf is a long con, but in another way, that is just putting his head down and mastering golf, even though it took years to do. And in the case of the flip a coin episode, that was the um, we are going to we are going to have a dance open house today or die. So we're going to get into that, right? Okay, so let's talk about Beth. Okay, so now Beth has this entire, again, I think she's like a little more big picture. She's got this dance school idea and Carol back in on the scene, right? Giving her two cents about what she thinks about whatever. I don't know what I thought about this dance school to begin with. Were you surprised when they sort of pulled into this parking lot? It was kind of a kind of space. Like, forget the smell. Let's not even get there. I, I liked it because... Okay, tell me. In the flash forward, she has a pretty nice place. Very true. Good call on that. And so I like the idea of needing to start small, start manageable, start with a dump. What did you think? I was surprised because I just feel like Beth has so much style and is so put together that I'm surprised that that would be a space that she would... I'm going to say settle for. Now, I agree this is supposed to be in a city. And so things are just like naturally probably going to be like she's going to choose an older building or something that, you know, I mean, again, just getting started. There's just something about that family and the way that their homes have always been styled and the way that their clothes and their hair and their makeup that I wouldn't say she would be proud to say this is my place of business. So I was a little surprised. I would say that. Now, I loved how they played out this smell in the business. Okay, that was so funny and provided such the perfect little bits of comic relief when Beth peeks her head around the corner and goes, they said it's not a family, baby. It's just the one. <laughs> Like, that was so, Uh, like... The counterpoint to the Malik introduction. Yes, and it was just so dead on. You know, like, that is exactly what would happen. I would completely stick my face around the corner and be like, hooray, it's not a dead family. (laughs) You know, like, this is completely the way real life happens. That's what makes me like Beth and Randall so much. They are so real life to me. Now, what did you think about this whole, like, Carol trying to take over versus Randall and how he handled mom-in-law this profited from the best parts of the structure of this show which was the way that they pair a meaningful flashback with what's happening now so in this case we have young carol young randall thinking that randall is a nice guy but but in in several ways he's just not going to be able to to cut it for for her daughter He's probably lived with that shadow cast over him for the last however long they've been married, probably 15, 17 years, somewhere in that range. And so today was the day that he had enough of listening to that. And this is probably the first time he's ever needed to do that because he he knew he came back and he said, and I'm sorry for talking to you like that, but my point still stands. Oh, I loved it, but the content remains. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that. No. And you know what? I think about that. I That is a really, really good 
way for me personally, whose point can sometimes get lost in a flustered, upset tone. I will keep that in my back pocket. And after I do like a and then I come back and I'll be like, I apologize for my tone, but the content stands like I feel good about that. That is a really smart and respectful way to handle things in a in a in a way that, you know, sometimes you can't help but have like an outburst, you know. At least this gal cannot. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes remember that whole not detailed uh, guy who's podcasting across from me. Sometimes <laughs> he's making his very best clown face at me right now. Sometimes this girl has had it quite up to the tippy top of my crown, and I can't handle one more thing. I got to blow off some steam. It's got to go directly into Paul's face. <laughs> right. But I would like to say that, I mean, so would it work on you if I said, I apologize for my tone, but my content stands? Would that work on you? Would you be like, all right, I can hear that? Well, I mean, after a minute. <laughs> right, right. After you have a moment. No, no, we're going to get into Malik and Deja and all that. But what did you think about the overall success of the actual dance studio grand opening? Did you appreciate the way that Beth did her her dance for everybody and they did it outside and they had their little like, sorry about the stinky place? I think they did what we would do, which is make the best of it and act like that was always the plan anyway. So that when people start showing up, you don't start over explaining. You don't start doing a lot of stuff to suggest that you're sorry for today's accommodations. You're just like, and we're seating over here today. That's how the best situations go down is you just act like this was always the damn plan. And really, no one's the wiser. I mean, it was a beautiful day. Now, would this have worked if it was raining and stuff? No. Or in the middle of winter? No. It was a beautiful day and they could easily move outside. And it just seemed like more of like a, I don't know, like a block party slash food truck ish kind of parking lot little party, which certainly happens now. You know, we've seen that. We've gone to things like that. If you're struggling with adulting in any way, here's here's some free advice. Oh, wow. Paul's going to be free adulting free advice. advice. I'm frightened by this. No, no. I've already told it to you. You already do it. Oh, geez. it's just act like you know what you're doing. And most people will believe you. It's it's a simple thing. Who taught you that? I had to learn it myself at the hospital with the babies. That was the first time I really needed to be a grown up. Was was then? I didn't really need to be an adult until then, but then I definitely did. And so, yeah, if you start spooking around, like apologizing for shit, looking like you don't belong, people are going to say, "Go wait over there until I tell you what to do." But if you're like, "I'm taking this and I'm going over there and I'm and I'm going to just look like I know what I'm doing," by and large, people leave you alone. My best friend's um, mom it completely taught me, and I'm. Um, awesome move on in that regard which is that we were at like a 5k little race thing and there was a registration table and there was a chair sitting there and her mom wanted to take a seat before we started the race and so she just went over and took the folding chair and the little registration person's like hey that's like for the registration and she goes i'll put it back when i'm done and i was like Uh. yes queen like that if you just act like i know what i'm doing i've made a choice and this is the choice and you're just gonna abide by that okay people for the most part have nothing to say back to that let me just tell you that registration little muppet just wandered away (laughs) he just went and sat in the grass because what are you gonna say to someone after they're like "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm i'm I'm aware of what the situation is and i'm gonna handle it 
my way. And it was just like, that's, that's it. And that's, that's a lot of what I feel like Randall and Beth bring to the entire family and storyline is, you know, they have to, and they have shown us that how to make their own way. And like, if you just put your face forward and do what you got to do. I think that's why they play their little uh, worst case scenario game. Cause it's sort of like in front of everybody, we're going to put our game faces on and we are strutting forward, but in the back of our brains and to each other quietly, we're going to be like, what if I fall down the stairs? What if the house burns down? What if, you know, and you can just like get it all out. And then you act like, you know, royalty the rest of the time. People will treat you that way. Yeah, it works. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, try performing surgery that way. I, I would do normal things. Let's check into Randall and Beth's home life. Yeah, we covered their careers pretty well. Everything's like running. So at the dance studio, we have Malik show up and he, this is the appropriate time, I guess, that's been designated, which seems a little bit like a bad idea, in my opinion. Like if I was Deja, I don't think I would have him come to something that... I mean, like my, stress involved. Well, I mean, in my own opinion, I mean, from an adult POV, I'm thinking, uh, I'm, I'm opening a business for the first time today, and you're like bringing me somebody to meet. Like that's a bad idea. I guess on the kid POV, maybe I'm thinking blended with the crowd. There'll be a lot of people. They can't make a scene. Whatever is that? Is what I'm thinking. Kid POV doesn't think things through like that. Speaking of not thinking things through. Deja and Malik had not figured out how they were going to bring up this concept of the fact that she, he has a kid, has a daughter. What do you think about the way that Randall handled Malik's news? And do you think that Malik was acting a little bit ridiculously ignorant to the fact that perhaps Deja had not shared that news? And don't you think they probably would have? That's a lot of questions. Talked to one another about whether or not they had shared that? No, I don't think that they would have talked about it. Okay. You're maybe thinking of it as like, you would be like reminding me, say, if you had a kid, if I had told my parents, but that's the other way around. There's no Caroline in this, in this situation. There's no Caroline in this whole show. <laughs> so yeah, he wasn't going to say, did you tell them about my daughter? He's it, He just assumed, right? So yeah, you asked like eight questions and now I'm like- Okay, did you, uh, did you like how Randall handled- Oh, yeah. I think I would handle it the same way. Oh, I think you'd wish you'd handle it the same way. Well, I mean, just the awkwardness of the the phrasing was just like, by and by your daughter, you mean, or whatever it was that he said was was like not as smooth as he normally is, I think, because he was very off guard with this concept of this young man who I don't care what age he says he is. He looks about 14 to me. I agree. There's something about the actor's features that really make him seem really, really young. So what do you think overall? Do you think that Randall and Beth handle it well with this idea that like, really, this is too much for Deja to handle? And is this too much for Deja to handle? I mean, is it ridiculous to think that she could date somebody who has a baby? And then like, I would like to say this. You just said two seconds ago that you really like figured out how to be an adult when you had a baby. Do you think that like Malik is anywhere in the same ballpark with a teenager who doesn't have a baby? No, he's Probably not full on adulting since he's going to to high school, but he's further along than other high schoolers just because he has to be. He has to be worried about things. He has to. He's the first one on call when that baby starts to cry, that that kind of stuff. Taking another high school age person into that world, even someone as world weary as Deja is it's something that should concern her parents. So do you do you think that Randall and Beth should allow Malik and Deja to continue a relationship or should they just say, look, you guys just need to be friends. 
you know, it's great that you always want to hang out and stuff, but like you cannot pursue this. I mean, my gut instinct would be stay away. Shut this shit down. Shut, yeah. There <laughs> needs to be some shit shutting. I think that, uh, I don't know that you can keep kids from, you know, pursuing a romantic relationship, but I think I would definitely want to do a lot of things where Malik is like with our family doing stuff and like really trying to like suss him out and figure out what's his real deal. You know, like where, where is he really? At the end of the day, and this may be an alienating kind of concept, but at the end of the day, he created a baby. And so a series of things needed to add up to that, that in creating a baby at a time when, when it's mostly ideal not to create a baby. So you're, you're, you're walking a very unbeaten path, uh, although it's getting more and more beaten these days. <laughs> right. um, I mean, I think it's fair to say that that's not plan A for, for most people's life plan is to, is to have a baby that early. So I think it's fair that, that any parent would be like, well, if you made the decisions that led up to needing to divert from plan A all the way down to plan Q here, mm -hmm. is it possible that you might not have learned all your, all the lessons that that could have taught you? you know? Well, and I also kind of want to say just like logistically, if Malik is full-time student at high school trying to work and they, they presented the concept of working a second side hustle and he has a baby, when is he like hanging out with Deja? Like when is all this extra time? Like, I don't know. I, I just don't, I, if I was his parents or really even Randall's, I'd be like, like what, how are you doing this? You know? Like, how is this even going to work? Like, let's be real. What's love got to do with it? Oh, Paul. Okay. So now we have another kiddo in the family having a little bit of stress here. And that's Tess. Tess's storyline, you know, has woven in here a little clunky for me. I feel like they kind of keep wanting to add her and she keeps kind of like popping out of the scene. That might not sound exactly correct, but, but hear me out. They do a really good job of weaving everybody's storylines in. And then every once in a while, it just feels like Tess is like, oh, yeah, and Tess, which is weird because she's a good actress and this is a good storyline, but it didn't really feel great. And the fact that they thought they needed to add this anxiety, a panic attack layer rather than just allow her to be a teenager who is coming out and working on how to be who she is. I don't know why they needed to necessarily add this anxiety thing. Like, oh yeah, and she also has this additional challenge. Did you think they needed to do that? Or are they really just like, they're just sort of shorting her coming out story? She might be primarily in existence to service Randall's story. And Randall's story is partly told with an eye to inheriting things like and like not knowing where he came from for, for all of his young life, right? He doesn't know why he does the things that he does or has the traits that he, that he has. And so he starts a family and now he gets to see how this works, you know, like passing things down to, to children. So I think that that's part of that identity that he's always searching for. And he's able to find a part of it that he doesn't like so much passed on to Tess. Now, does that mean that that short changes her character like you're suggesting? Well, anytime you have a character that exists to service another character, I guess it they're born to be shortchanged. I appreciate when This Is Us gives us parallels and they show us situations or traditions or personality traits occasionally that are passed down. But I kind of think it's bogus to have every challenge be identical generationally, meaning 
you could have social challenges and not quite know where you fit in society. It doesn't all have to be the same. So the fact that they made William, Randall, and Tess have supposedly identical panic anxiety issues feels unnecessary. Annie looks like she's loose as a goose, though. Dude, Annie is my favorite little <laughs> Pearson, to be honest with you. She is so cool and easygoing. I love her. But uh, do you get what I'm saying, though? It's like, do you have to make like every generation have the same limp or the same tumor or something? It's like everyone can have a challenge. It doesn't have to be the identical challenge. And you can still relate it and say, look, I had an issue with this. This is something that I struggled with. It could be a mental health issue, but it doesn't have to be the exact same mental health issue. But that's real. I mean, the the drinking with the Pearson men or, sure. or more like the, the any kind of dependence is a Pearson thing, apparently. Right. Compulsive anything. Is it something they need to revisit with every character and every lineage? I guess it does kind of get worn Okay, but out. hear me out on this. So, okay. So what I just said, you said drinking is the same, right? Well, they made drinking the same for Jack and Kevin. Not and necessarily that I agree. But they made being compulsive, Kate, Randall, Jack, and Kevin. But it shows up in different ways. So like we had Randall being like a compulsive, like really needing to get perfect grades kind of student Overachiever, Kate with right. the eating. Yes, for sure. With the um, drinking. But also, if you look at him more, I mean, obviously, he keeps in shape, acting, all the things that he does. Like there's a lot of his little self that is very, you know, he has to be very type A on on some of those things to get the results he gets. So I don't know. I'm just saying, like, could they have had Tess have depression? Would it have been just as accurate? Could they have had, I mean, we already have William with a drug addiction issue and now they're layering into him this panic attack thing, which seems difficult to believe that would never have popped up at all. That doesn't, that feels like one of those like rewriting history of a character mm -hmm. because I don't know that William had that. They showed him an awfully long time for his anxiety to never reveal itself. It seems like the moment when Randall shows up on his door and is and is mean to him and all that kind of stuff, and he's and he's pretty laid back about, yeah, okay, I yeah, this all makes sense. And but that would have been a pretty good moment to be pretty hyped up. There would have been an easy time anytime when they were going on the road trip and like he shows up at the bar and like there's like kind of awkwardness with, you know, a family member, all that kind of stuff. There would have been plenty of times to have a panic attack. If that was like your history, you know, mm -hmm. so I don't know. I'm, I'm a little, uh, I, I think that the concept of the bubbles in the seltzer is very fitting. And I think the idea of what, what we, we have a kiddo who deals with anxiety actually too. Um, and I would say that the idea of like taking a deep breath and taking a minute and just trying to relax for a second does definitely, you know, matter watching the bubbles would help, but uh, I don't know. A mixed bag. I don't think you have to have the exact same issue generationally. I think it's almost more important if they would show it revealing it in different ways so that people could find the little connect the dots without it being labeled the same exact challenge. Toby already called depression. <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. Okay, therapy. They did like dip their toe into the concept of therapy just a wee bit here. We've done it before. We did it with Kevin previous seasons. This is a heavy foreshadowing scene, I think. Well, talk to me. What you think? Well, just how Randall is fine with the idea for Tess and rejects it outright for himself. Now, 
In the storyline, however, he went to group therapy with Kevin. I mean... Again, because it's for someone else, it's okay, but he can't go for himself. Right, right. Now, is this, does this ring true for Randall? Do you think that given the introspection that he has and given the constant need to understand himself better and know who he is better, would it really be truthful that he would like turn his nose up at therapy? Yeah. Okay, tell me. I mean, he has had these nervous breakdowns. He he keeps piling on the responsibility and the people that depend on him. And he has shown that he does, his, his camel's back does break. And so that would be someone who would reject therapy? That is someone that, yeah, isn't finding help when they need it. Right? Okay. Okay. So not knowing when to say uncle, basically. Basically, yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that. That works for me. Okay. So that was basically the story of Randall, Beth, Tess, and Deja, and Malik, we can add now, throughout these three episodes. Overall, do you feel like they're servicing these characters well? Do you feel like we're getting enough Beth? Are we getting, I mean, certainly we don't get enough Annie. We clearly know that. How do you feel about them? I think Randall got the most story out of these three episodes by, you know, half over over the next one. So, yeah, I think they're all well taken care of. I think we could probably use some more Beth turned up in Randall's life. If she's being turned down intentionally, that might be contributing to whatever this scene the 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 therapy scene might be foreshadowing that that scene is so throwaway that it, if it's not foreshadowing some kind of fall on Randall's part why they include it it's so short they could have thrown it away that we needed to know that Tess was having therapy that could have been just no, like, I like your foreshadowing. On our way to therapy you no know? I feel I feel that I think that that's totally good and the fact that Beth, actually, it seemed to have found two separate therapists, one for Tess and one for him. Yeah. So it's like she had done the legwork and they had shown, you know, all of his building up of working out more and doing all the things that he did, the leg shaking, all that kind of stuff that is like the signs of needing to talk to somebody. Definitely. Or or I shouldn't say that the signs that an, an anxiety attack is probably you're on the road, you know, you're doing too much. Okay, overall, I dug it. I'm with you so much on the on the Beth scene. I really feel like if they're going to go with Tess being gay, they need to just commit to it and talk about it and be real. You know, like she can't just pop up like once every five episodes with like a one liner, you know, like, oh, and by the way, I'm struggling. (laughs) And then just like moving on. Like, I think we need to go to school with her the way that we've gone to school with Randall. We need to understand, like, does Tess not have one friend? I mean, Deja's had people in her life like like there's nobody. Deja's had like after school activities and stuff. We haven't really delved into tests at all, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would love to see more. It doesn't have to go like crazy in depth. We just need a little more well-rounding of the fam. Yeah, you know? She's going to be such a, a big deal. More. She can't just wander in with rainbow suspenders and be like, I'm gay. And then, and then that's well, it. And don't do that. Like, and that's not fair and that's not right. You know, don't, don't casually bring up a subject that could be the entirety of someone's life, everything they're dealing with, their biggest challenge, and you just made them a Mm one-liner, you know, don't do that. Don't do that. Then don't, don't give her that challenge, you know, have her only have the anxiety issues and just let her play that out as like a, a third generation family member. Let her just do that. And, and that would be fine. But if you're going to bring something up a lot, like we've discussed this with like Kate and Toby and baby Jack, like if you're going to bring up prematurity and you're going to bring up blindness, you're going to do this. You got to go all in. You do, do not try to just gloss over it when it doesn't sort of fit your storyline of the week. Don't do that. It's not cool. You should have never brought it up in the first place. I agree. Let's flip channels to the Kate network now. 
Oh, that network is real spotty, Paul. It's all over the place. Let's get back to her flashback, okay? So we started off with Kate. Remember her? Had this entire storyline this season where the flashback was revolving around her getting a job at the record store and being with Mark, her co-worker, and I guess manager. I don't I know. I think he is the This supervisor. might be a little like, you know, taking advantage of his position. I don't know. But... I, believe, I believe she's getting me too'd here. Well... I think something me too is going to happen. Let's talk about this for for what happened here. Mark shows up at dinner uninvited. Good, not good. I think overall not good because it was already had all these other stressors. You know, this is Beth's first visit with the family. This is Kevin with his wife. I know. Um, We're going to talk about that business. And, and then there's Miguel who no one knows what to do with. And then there's a meal that turned out like shit. And now you're going to bring in this rando 20-year-old guy? Well, okay. So but what I'm wondering, though, is so is Mark just being this weird controlling situa- like person in this situation? Like, is he showing up unannounced, uninvited, a la makes me think of uh, fear. Like, mm. remember when, like, old Marky Mark would just, like, pop up in situations? Yeah. Let's talk about Marky Mark for a little bit. That's not. <laughs> um, okay. So, but this Marky Mark, okay. Just regular Mark. He just, I I didn't feel bad, but then I did feel bad in retrospect. When they did the little part with the Polaroid photo and they actually like, they had that moment between Rebecca and adult Kate and they were like, oh, I didn't know it was going to happen like that. And it was all real gross and grimy. Mm. All right, let's just get right into it, Paul. What do you think Mark did? What is this? I'm going to go with something akin to a first sexual encounter gone disastrous. I don't know if that means like needing to get a date rape or. Yeah, probably. Because I bet Kate's experience with boys is pretty scant at this point in her life. Right. And uh, Mark might, it's, this is going to sound gross, but see like an easy target sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, she definitely seems super innocent and she reveals right away that her dad just passed away. So she's obviously vulnerable and and all that kind of stuff. So I'm super sad about that whole thing because obviously we don't want to see teenage Kate get hurt. But I can see that that is where we almost have to go. And it will explain her eating a whole bunch because she is in a place right now where she's physically not overly heavy at all. And so it would make sense if there's some sort of I know that there's sort of that that thinking that some women after they've been assaulted in some way eat to feel like they're sort of like hiding themselves, you know, like if, if I don't look sexy or if I don't whatever, there's sort of like this literal barrier between yourself and someone else. So I, I kind of get what they're going. How big of a mystery do you feel like this is and how big of a mystery do you think they'll play this out? Well, I hope they get to the point like in the next a to the sap. few episodes. Yeah. So you don't want this like pulling into the next season or no, anything like that? No, I do not. No, <laughs> no. I mean, it's it's a good little Easter egg to keep us, you know, keep us right. put the stink eye on Mark. But right. Well, and, and something to wonder about and try to pay attention and maybe even, you know, if you're someone who likes to go back as as we're nearing to our fall finale part, uh, if you're someone who likes to go back and watch, you know, the, the first set of episodes, then, you know, you can like get a harder stare at Mark and see the things that he does when they're at work and decide like, you know, is he in some way setting her up for something that is really apparent if you had the idea to look at it, you know, in Mm -hmm. hindsight. So I think that will be great for people over the break, over the holiday breaks. Um, Let's get into Kate and Toby and baby Jack. 
You guys know that we have a deafblind daughter. And so when we start talking about bringing a blind baby to a music class, we have a lot of experience with this. I did not feel that this was overly accurate in terms of the emphasis they were placing on letting Jack get acquainted with his surroundings and those types of things. I felt like that was like kind of overkill. I, I don't really think that infants blind or not have that same need to like get comfortable with their space. Pretty adaptable. Yeah. And I mean, think about it. Infants are carried around all the time everywhere. And like, what are you doing? Like, they shouldn't like walk him around the room and like introduce him to, you know, I mean, like there wasn't, that's, I don't think that's a thing. And so, I mean, I understand it on, in some way, if he was big enough, like a toddler where he might need to like walk around and sort of feel and understand the boundaries of a place. Like we've definitely experienced that in like a children's museum where, you know, like a little ball pit or something like that. There's like a, here's the wall. Here's where you get out. You kind of show them where everything is because she's blind and kind of walk him around. But as an infant, I felt like this was like a little too much, a little too fast. Just so that you guys know the score. Uh, we didn't know about the deaf part of deaf blindness for a few years. So we And knew, she lost hearing over that time. We knew that we had a blind baby though. And so we did seek out things that we knew made noise, all different kinds of noises, all different kinds of known therapies and treatments and kinds of things to kind of help her adapt, I guess, to her surroundings and all that kind of stuff. But we did not do it when she was a couple of weeks old. Like this baby that they have is is weeks old at this well, point. Well, and I and I and and in weeks all honesty, out of the NICU. that's not even anything that anybody told us to do. Like sensory is super important. Like remember massage baby class and all that stuff that we went to like touch mm -hmm. yeah, yeah touch is really important when we have infants but the bigger picture this like whole getting comfortable with your environment business it isn't a thing until they're big enough to move around in their environment and then that's a thing so that part's kind of weird additionally i think that the amount of like yelling and how loud they were doing that music class could startle or annoy any baby yeah. Sighted or not, like that was a lot of sensory crap going on. Now, one of the things that I want to point out too, that they could be hitting on, maybe they'll actually address this, maybe they won't, is that beyond just being blind, preemies often have a lot of sensory issues. So like touch and and, and noise. It, yeah. Like the the volume of a noise like a vacuum cleaner, like an air blower in the bathroom, um, things like that are overwhelming and overstimulating even if you were not blind because they have a lot of preemies have sensory issues generally so knowing that i kind of felt like it would have been helpful if they actually kind of said that you know if they actually sort of were like well this is something that you know prematurity also you know plays into rather than just focus on the blind part because uh, i just don't i know plenty of people with who enjoy loud music who are blind you know so it's sort of like a little like I don't know if this is totally accurate. I think the important takeaway there, though, is that they're reaching, they're trying. They don't know what they're doing exactly, but at least they're trying to address this the best that they can. Okay, so I'm going to take this in two chunks. From the standpoint of the writers, I do think that they are trying to introduce concepts of raising a child who has special needs. Okay, they're doing that. And, and that's admirable. And yes. And and even if they were 100% accurate of like what age and what milestone you might have certain challenges, it is still plausible that Kate and Toby as parents could have read ahead in the book and are applying 
older accommodations to an infant. And that's what we can be kind of like being a little critical of, but not that, that the writers don't know that this is not the right milestone time, but just their brand new parents with a brand new blind baby. And they're not realizing that like, that's not a concern you really need to have. Sort of like when the woman was there baby proofing the house and the baby was like minute and you were like, well, that's something you need to be concerned about like six months from now. But like, this is not really a concern of today. I mean, they were doing it to be overwhelming to the parents in terms of information, but that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to call this music class. Toby, and Kate applying all the knowledge they could have learned about what a blind child might need and applying it all to an infant, which is not really the right time frame for all this stuff. Since you're all curious about what she means by prematurity things, let me just guess that you might mean something like when our babies were that size or that age from the NICU, we were not wild about taking them anywhere. And that was mainly oh, yeah. a health issue because Absolutely. here's a fun fact. The um, mother's antibodies are transferred or, or given or whatever the right word is to the baby at a certain age, whatever the gest gestational age that is, I don't remember. But if the baby's not gestating anymore, they don't get them. They need to be A, protected and B, supplemented with, with artificial antibodies. And so that kind of adds up to you don't introduce a lot of extra people to the baby right yeah, off the bat. I completely agree. You would not be going to an enclosed music class like that fresh out of the NICU. Like that's silly. We didn't actually, we weren't able to take our girls into places like that until years into it. And even still, do you remember, I remember the very first time we ever took them to like a mother's day out thing, they immediately got so sick yeah. and were sick that we had to get all, they, they allowed us to get all our money back because it was so apparent that like, they can't be here around all these other babies and all this breathing air around everybody else, all the germs, like it's just not going to happen. I thought bringing the beach as like the pivot was great. I think that that is perfect. I think the sensory of the sand, the coolness of the water, the sounds and the smells and everything that he would experience was spot on. That is something that a lot of people would say that the beach is a full sensory experience for them. So, you know, the heat of the sun, the salt, Mm -hmm. The birds, everything I thought was great. And I appreciated that that's how they decided to salvage their day. Did the beach figure into our introduction of adult Jack? When? The first episode of the season. I'm just trying to remember. Was there the anything? First episode of this season? Was there any beach with grown up baby Jack? Um, okay. So he went to the diner. Mm. Maybe mm, we're gonna have to go back and look. You guys go look, go look. When they first introduced Jack, baby Jack, as an adult, he, I know he has the dog and I know he, you know, goes to the diner and stuff like that. Does he do anything having to do with the beach? Good question. We'll have to go back and look. Yeah. Because I bet it, I bet you a thousand percent that that is something you're right that will probably stick with him and be like a touchstone for him, a place to go and relax or a place to go and enjoy, you know, mm -hmm. a good memory. When, you, when you're a parent and you find something that works, you do it a lot. And so if the beach works for baby Jack, I bet they wind up there a lot. So the baby is so young and so early that the Pearson fam hasn't even given their baby present yet for him being born. So were you surprised that it turns out to be... Rebecca's old piano. Yes, because I think that we're still, I don't know, it's kind of a cheat a little bit in that in that we're just 
in this span of episodes, we're getting used to the idea that they're moving into this new new house and they're getting that piano in this in this same span. I think so. There's no piano that we know that it, that it, that survived the fire, right? This is a new piano. No, I remember Miguel gets it for her. Miguel gets it for her. Remember when they're in the um department? Okay. And he and it's like bringing the music back in. Okay. Okay. So scratch all that. But- so no, but but it, no, but it's a good point though. And but to that point. I know they showed like teenage Kate playing the piano, but I'm having a really rough time thinking of adult Kate doing anything other than singing. So bringing a piano in, I was trying to think like, does she play the piano now as an adult person? I mean, I I guess we saw, I mean, some amount, but I mean, Rebecca's the piano player. Yeah. Kind of. I don't know if that was a total hit the ball out of the park or not. I'm not sure. It's again kind of one of those rewriting it where, where we're supposed to go like, well, maybe she did continue piano, but it's like we I haven't seen adult. It'll be like Kate. Randall and golf, you know. Yeah, she's been practicing like a, all oh, these years. Really, she has been. I didn't. When when where was her piano out in L.A. when she was like Kevin's assistant? Like I don't know. And of course, though that does give us that opening to the old Polaroids in the piano. So I mean, obviously, that's a good reason. Now, a lot of the other parts to Toby and Kate's relationship seem actually super familiar and I think probably very universal. So there was a couple of things that that are going on in any relationship when you have one person who loses weight and the other person who is not on the same page at that point. I don't care if it's the guy or the girl. You have that weird jealousy slash you want to be supportive, but also you're kind of miffed that this other person's having the success and you're not and back and forth. And I've seen it go both ways. And for Paul and I, it's gone both ways where I've been heavier and he's been thinner. Uh, He's been heavier and I've been thinner and it has gone back and forth. We're not necessarily so hard as all this like cutting up clothes business or anything, but I would say that there is a sense of like my Adidas pants right yeah those treasured items yeah there that was like a pair of pants that i just loved they were like loungewear that i just loved them and they were a source of like contention of like if i was like wearing those that was like like uh, not great so it's a highly adjustable band it's uh, yeah well so i feel like there's like a, a lot of that push and pull and I cannot, I mean, both of us, anyone really who's ever lost any weight and doesn't want to feel like they're going to slip back. No one wants to think that. So the idea of whether he should or shouldn't get rid of his fat clothes. I mean, I know a lot of people, anybody who's ever struggled with weight, who's had that moment of being like, should I just box these up? Oh, I hung on to mine for for a few months after. No, years. There's stuff that you just ditched. Just ditched? Yeah. Like I would say this summer, you still had some like 38s or whatever shorts that you just ditched. Well, that was just an oversight. That was not like me having some second thought about about keeping weight off that was just not that you don't want to keep the weight off but just there's that idea of like well i always loved that sweater or i always love those pants or i always love whatever and if i were to gain weight again i sure wouldn't want to be without xyz because i just love the way i look in that dress See, when I'm that way, all my dresses. Look well, not like only that, shit. but you wear like khaki pants. Like, ooh, you just get another pair of khaki pants. Like, oh, right. like there's nothing like so stylish. That <laughs> but you I love those dockers. <laughs> exactly. Right. Head to the JC Penney's and get yourself a new pair. 
you know, equally, I think the um, relatable is the Toby and Kate sexual issues post baby and just generally a man as as older as he is. I believe we're supposed to think that Toby's in his 40s as I think he's supposed to be a couple years older than Kate. Mm. You know, that's just like that's just life. Like anyone who is who is our, in that age range, like you're like, yeah, like guys have performance problems. That happens. It happens across the board. And that is no glimpse into the daily life. That's that's me talking to a gajillion women every day. And like, that's just like part of life. Oh, wells. And it's about stress. It's about jobs. It's about having kids and, you know, adulting, you know, I mean, it takes a toll. They just throw in the weight disparity and the all that stuff to amp up the you don't find me attractive part of the the middle part of the story. I will say that. However, I do not think that I have heard one scenario ever where there's a performance issue on either partner side, whether the woman is constantly getting a headache or the man cannot perform or whatever, where there isn't that moment of saying, well, is it me? Is it that you're not attracted to me? And I don't care if you're heavier or fat or, or, or skinny or long hair, short hair, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just like, are, is it is your body not responding to my body anymore? Is that the issue? It's like, I think that's the first question everyone asks. Very natural. And it's never really the answer, is it? It's, I think it's never the answer. I mean, I don't, not in, not in all the conversations I've had with people. I've never once heard somebody say, yes, it's actually because you dyed your hair or whatever. Like I, it always comes down to the same stuff. Financial concerns. Job concerns, stress, health, you know, that kind of stuff. It really all comes down to that. So their story, I think, has been very relatable for a lot of people. The weight, the relationship changes. I really wonder how everyone else is doing with Baby Jack's storyline in terms of like, if you don't have a baby who has any kind of challenges, is that storyline interesting to you or kind of like, I don't really get it? What is it? I wonder. With our attitude toward Deja, there might be people that love Deja. Well, you know there they, are. They just need that Deja. This is Deja's why they watch the show. But we're we're like mm, we could use a little less Deja time, and and, and so this is. Uh, but but we really engage with Baby Jack, so. Not everybody's born to love every part of their show. Right. And that's, I mean, hopefully they're they're casting a wide enough net that they're catching enough people's individual journeys that it feels like, oh, I can see myself in this particular part. And you know what? Like I said, it might not be that your baby was blind. Maybe, maybe your baby has autism or maybe your baby is just very sensitive to being in a loud, you know, social situation, whatever it is. You could have had an embarrassing time going to a mommy and me class and felt out of place and felt like I shouldn't have come here. We don't fit in. I feel like there's plenty of us who have had those moments, whether or not your baby has any type of special need. You can still feel like you don't fit in. It's not for you or you're not doing it right. Like that time I went to that yoga class. Remember that? It was like, curl up into a little ball like a little baby. I was like, I have to go. (laughs) I cannot stay. He did not want a fetal <laughs> child's pose. No. I was like, I'm an adult man. I'm out. He yeah. just left. I was in the class and I'm like looking around and he's just like wave at me from the door. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I was getting lunch. I'll catch right. you after. <laughs> I'm having a Cornish game hen. I'll see you later. Oh my God. Well, if Kate and Toby are living what we consider to be a pretty mainstream, relatable, relatable life, I would say that Kevin with Nikki and Cassidy are leading a life that very few people 
could put their arms around and really say like, I get this. I get having so much money that I can just be unemployed and bebop around with my uncle and kind of do whatever I want, whenever I want. Uh, I bet less people can see themselves in Kevin's current path. I think we're supposed to maybe uh, see his character arc maybe a little more traditionally in terms of like seeing how he had taken a fall earlier with his bouts with the alcoholism and 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 the um, status of his personal life and, mm-hmm. and 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 where he is now trying to actively help people, which I totally love, and I love that he has this generous spirit. And I know we have some listeners who are like extremely pro Kevin. Well, not just that, but able to identify with with Kevin's story, find themselves understanding the things he does all i'm just trying to say is that this particular part where he's like purchasing a very expensive trailer and just like parking next to uncle nicky and like doing these things these are not i mean i'm sure the percentage of people who have ever even shopped for a an rv is probably not that big in the big grand scheme of things and so you're already narrowing your possible group of people but i thought that all of this was heartwarming about him and like really he's really really genuinely trying. He is trying to be there for Nikki. He is trying to be there for Cassidy. And for that, I give him all the growth points in the world because he he's legitimately trying. So we start off with this whole like the meeting. Uh, they're all trying to show up at the AA meeting. And it's like one of those very relatable, uh, uh, the internet says one thing and you show up and you're like, but this was supposed to be a falafel house. And it's <laughs> right. like not. Yeah. They're selling shoes. And you're like, wow. Right. It's like the worst feeling in the world, We're right? We're teaching craft beers. It's the worst time for you to be oh, here. No. Right? Oh, God. Yeah, it's bad. And so um, I thought that doing the trailer shopping was was interesting. And I and I appreciate that. It's, it's kind of a funny idea. Because he has a trailer, the thought is we should get a nicer trailer. No, it's it's it, he wants to buy Nikki a trailer that a person can live in. Like Nikki's trailer is pretty run down. No, I know. But. He could buy a house, Paul, or well, an apartment but or he, whatever. Are we supposed to gather that he owns that plot of land? I think so. And so he just pulled his trailer onto it. Yeah. Because, I mean, Kevin could build him a house. He doesn't have to buy him a different trailer. That's all I'm saying. Because well, it's not like he takes his little tag along trailer anywhere. It's not like he hitches it up to something and drives around the country. Like, he's not actually an RVer. He just lives in a little trailer, you know? I think maybe it's more like trying to get baby steps out of the guy, right? Because he's okay. been pretty resistant to want right. to do. So let's just get a trailer with like better paint Kevin and has, nicer beds. I think it, before this, I think it's either implied or maybe you've seen an explicit. He basically offered him whatever he wanted that he could provide. Yeah. And, and he was just like, no. Which is again, amazing. So I love the little history lesson that we got on why he even has the trailer. And it it's was sad. I mean, it's, it says a lot about his his character and sort of his it, lack of it does. But what, something. what was interesting about it is how it paralleled Jack and Rebecca's story, like feeling like Jack had to pursue Rebecca more than once. Right. It's not like they instantly worked. You know, he had to kind of go back and like, you know, go wash dishes with her and all that kind of stuff. Whereas Nikki showed up once. She wasn't there. And that was it. You know, and so I think that that's just knew, it's like it's, just a, it's like a different um, I just knew 
And, and I mean, maybe it was like, again, sort of like, you know, sometimes you go to do something and then it doesn't work out and you kind of step back and you're like, whoa, if that had worked out, what would I have even said if someone had answered the door or what, or, or that just really saved me from like a lot of embarrassment or what, or you miss a flight or whatever. And something bad happens. Like, it's that kind of feeling of like, uh, what's old Garth Brooks say, thank God for unanswered prayers. Like there's that kind of thing where it's like, you can think you want something really bad and get really close to it. And when it doesn't happen, you can actually step back and be like, whoa, that probably wasn't going to be the right thing. Not necessarily that this is what happened. Obviously, we would have liked him to have found a love of his life kind of thing. But I do think that Jack like pursued Rebecca more. And there was actually like a more of a like a you're going to have to go after her if you really want her. And Nikki just didn't once, you know, he put his big toe in and tested it and he backed off immediately. Forever. Forever. And Some people in the trailer. do that. Some people do that, though, man. I guess it's just like another illustration of how freaking broken the guy is. Just one tacit denial, you know, and he, she didn't even it's actively even say. Denial, right. She just wasn't home. Right. That's it. Or and, maybe she didn't hear the door or well, a And that's where Kevin things. was like, but you could have gone back and that kind of stuff. And he's just like, no, I couldn't. Or you could have waited around to see like maybe just 20 minutes and she would have shown up. But I am of the of the belief that sometimes you do get that vibe where you're like, you know what? Like, I thought this was a good idea at the time and I'm either in over my head or whatever, but it's not the right thing anymore. Um, It felt right. and It just wasn't. She's lying. <laughs> She not. believes things are still good way past the, their, their sell-by date. BS on that daily because that's the way I I was. Have you not heard me say things like, okay, I don't think it was meant to be. I don't think we were supposed to go to that thing today. You haven't heard me say that in the last couple of years at least where I was like, I don't think we were actually supposed to be a part of whatever that was. No. And this is when we learned that Paul doesn't listen at all. <laughs> God, yeah, but I would say I definitely can let things go now that I could never have let things go when I was like 16 or 18 or 20. It would have been like, it's still good. It's still good. It's still good. I mean, now, I mean, say, say a helper with Lauren. I used to like cry my eyes out if they had to leave like a therapist or somebody like that. And now I'm like, they come, they go. Maybe the next person will be really great. Like there's not that same feeling of like, it has to go a certain way. I think as you get a little bit older, you know? Hmm. Well, God, okay. Paul? You didn't even have to go through Vietnam to learn that. No. Jesus. You didn't have to blow up a kid. Oh, Paul, you're that ugly. That we know of. You're ugly. And you don't know what I do on my free time. I was in Nam. You don't know, Paul. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I think I'm supposed to say, am I supposed to say Nam? Nam, Vietnam. I said Nam. Is that wrong? Well, I mean, if you want to completely just disrespect every part of it, just say Nam. Yeah. That's, Nam? I don't yeah. want to even say that. I don't want to disrespect it. Speaking of a little disrespect, though, Paul, Kevin is like trying to bond with Nikki, like really trying. And Nikki is like not going to give him any stories about Jack as a kid, which I think is pretty shitty. It's one thing to maybe not want to tell stuff about yourself. But if you have someone who has in this exact scenario has lost their dad and wants to know more about their childhood, why would you be a jerk and be like, I'm not going to tell you anything about your dad as a kid? That seems like really over the top i mean yeah it's like you're keeping something like the only thing this guy needs from you from him basically his memories he just wants to learn more about his dad like don't be weird all right speaking of a little weird let's get into this ice cream block story for a second okay because i don't love the ice cream block story speak it paul you do dig it i don't dig it the only part that i didn't dig about it 
was just that it seems like they needed to completely make up a fictitious way of dealing with ice cream in order to to make a tradition. If you are from a family that cuts ice cream with knives, please let me know that I'm wrong because I need to know. Otherwise, it feels fake, like they just made it up. Anyway, what I like about it is that it depicts the dad doing something for his sons. And that feels very consistent with an abusive guy like that, in that he would have these few moments that would keep them hanging on, knowing that every so often he can be this good ice cream guy, but then they have to live through all the other shit, the beatings and the yelling and all that kind of stuff like that. But they're hanging on to this thread that they know that he's decent somewhere in there because he shares ice cream sometimes. See, on the flip, I just did not like this at all. And I feel like that mom has been given the shaft when it comes to Jack and Nikki. Like, we've been given very little information about her and very little about her personality and stuff. And again, going back to that, like, does everything have to be identical? I mean, does it have to be the father who then does the father who then does the father? Why can't it be that Jack would emulate something his mother did and that that is equally 50% of his genetic pool? It doesn't have to be a man does it, so then a man does it so then a man does it like it's kind of lame you, you know it'd be funny is if randall got a piece of ice cream like that and started cutting it and beth was like what are you doing <laughs> and he's like well i guess my dad taught me that but i don't really know why and, and i think that'd be funny in, in another context in another episode perhaps yeah another context yeah beth be like what, what's happening right, right now right deja might be like that beth would probably already know the story paul but yeah, so I don't know. I That was a little bit of a weird thing. And and honestly, I was really eked out about them like being happy with the abusive dad. I understand the covering for an abusive person. I understand having those good times. And that's what kind of sticks you around. But it felt like seeing like a devil on the screen when they brought him on with the little boys like that. It felt like run scatter boys like he's a bad guy don't fall for his ice cream block like it feels bad like i didn't like it i really i really didn't like it i did not like seeing him again and i thought that they could have had it be the mom you know or have jack have done it because he was a little boy and maybe didn't know how to scoop ice cream and so he just assumed you opened the whole box and so that's something that jack did for nikki and it's something that he continued you know like, wouldn't that make sense that a little kid couldn't use an ice cream scoop? So they just opened the whole square thing and just started lopping off pieces. Like, that feels like what a kid might do. That's what our kids would do. <laughs> they wouldn't start looking for the ice cream scoop. They'd just start snarfing it. Snarfing it. I guess the more curious part of that tradition is that Jack adopted it completely. Yes. Because he despises his dad. And wants to basically flush him out of his life. I just, I don't feel good about it, you guys. I mean, okay, I appreciate the little tiny wrap it up with a bow that you have Nikki doing the ice cream with Kevin. That was like a cute little whole business, but I don't know. Again, like, do grandmas get no play in this? I mean, Kevin had a grandma, you know, right? Talk about her. She went to live with a friend. <laughs> oh, God, that's like the last we heard of her. <laughs> oh, my God, nice. She went to go live with a friend, as moms do. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. Oh, okay, so that covered a lot of what was going on with old Nikki and Kevin throughout. You know, going back to our being overwhelmed uh, portion when we have the hockey game. And, you know, we discuss all the different ways in which Ryan and Nikki 
were essentially overwhelmed with the hockey game for Cassidy. I appreciated that they explained it better, you know, because it did very much seem like Ryan was being a jerk or Nikki was being like a curmudgeon. And, you know, it. I think that those things helped, especially Nikki, get you to understand baby Jack's sitch, where it's like you could be overwhelmed by a situation for different reasons. You know, it doesn't have to be that you're blind. You could also have all these other things where you feel like you can't stick around in a, in a situation. That was kind of a little parallel in these couple of episodes for me. Remember when they, we introduced Cassidy and I insisted that she was going to be a big deal because of that she's a fairly well-known actress. Mm-hmm. Did you Have you noticed that when they first introduced her, she primarily wore her hair in tight buns and, yeah. and things like that. And by the end of this sequence, yeah. she lets it down more and more to like ponytails and then finally just more like just completely down. Which we totally called. Remember we said it was going to be a, a full like she's all that. Like yes. and then she's going to start wearing some lipstick and then she's going to wear like a dress and like that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I totally see where you're going with this. That like she's going to go from an ugly duckling into a hot swan. It's happening for her eyes. Well, and I think that it shows her openness toward Kevin clearly, obviously. God, Paul, that's a very intellectual way to put it. I was trying to be a little more sassy. Well, you- she's a sexy swan, I said. Yeah. And you're all, she's opening her heart to the promise of love. Like, <laughs> all right. All right. Do you think Ryan had any business yelling at Kevin to like, stay away from my wife? Sure. I mean, that's what husbands are supposed to say. Yeah, but it was a bullshit. I mean, he just said he's going to divorce her like that morning. That's what drove her to the AA meeting. Jeez, Christmas. Yeah, but he still gets to say Bull. when he's done. Oh, that's disgusting. I don't like, like I haven't that. finished this yet. Gross. Gross. I don't love any of that. Don't take my plate. I'm not done. Shut up. All this is disgusting. Okay. So I did not. I was like, Ryan, give me a break. I mean, don't be all stay away from my wife. You could be like, stay away from my family. We're still trying to work things out, whatever. I don't know. I'm just trying to work it through or whatever. But I don't know. I just didn't like that moment. It felt not good. Not great. We do find out that uh, Kevin and Cassidy like to do like pump some iron in the same hot box. Well, it's a small town, right? I guess. I can move you to Nickyville. Right. This... <laughs> Population one hot box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, with one Jim girl and, and one Cassidy and one uh, Kevin. You know, it's kind of silly. I don't get the impression that Cassidy has a lot of money. And um, I'm sure the VA has a gym. Who knows? Me. I know. I don't. I bet not. But I mean, this was a very CrossFit type gym, you know, so whatevs. They tend to be less expensive. Maybe that's what she got in the divorce decree. The, the gym membership? The gym membership. That's possible. Yeah. So gym girl, here's your smoothie. You're not allowed to have him around the weights, but I make an exception for the likes of you. Did you recognize that chick? No. Uh, It was Cassidy from the middle. Oh, was it? Yes. I think we discussed that Y'all at the time. Y'all go watch the middle and Axel has like a very steady girlfriend named what? Cassidy. And this is her. Same chick, same chick. Uh, she's much smarter than Axel. In the middle yes but here in the gym she is just looking for some action out of the old kev yeah she doesn't care what's upstairs so much as what's downstairs yeah well and she says the magic words she wants kids and he's like well i know how to make those uh mainly she was like i'd like to have sex and he was like fantastic check please (laughs) <laughs> I don't think it was all about the kids thing. I think it was a lot about the like, let's just have fun. How do you like how things went back at the trailer? I thought kind of weird, to be honest with you. Like, I thought it was a little 
Mm, how do I want to say this? I thought they kind of undercut Kevin here when we had all this growth and all this caring and all this everything. And it's fine that he went out with the gym girl, like whatever. And even if he wanted to have a one night stand or whatever with her, whatever they're going to do. But I thought it was weird that he was like going to get all like hot and heavy with her. And then Cassidy came and he was just like, all right, switch places. Like that was little like, like you said, like he was all hot and bothered. But- he's like, I don't want to waste this. Let's just go for it. How so about that sequence you? is super fuzzy. Like they came walking out of the random part of the woods, not like no, not I... like some parking area or something. So it was like you just like sent her back out into the woods. I don't know. And like even were they like doing something more in the woods? Like I don't even know. Like did he really just like double dip in like one second? Yes. Oh, see, then that's like frown for Kevin. Because I mean, yes, it happens in the world. Is that great? No, but I mean, Kev. We're supposed to be feeling better about you. And like, that feels kind of gross. I mean, I guess he can have a momentary slip up with Jim Chick, but. They just seem to be walking together, right? I don't know. I mean, they started that with like, I want to go have sex. And he's like, okay. <laughs> They're like, I'm walking out of the woods. I don't know, Paul. I'm not like a Karnak here, but I mean, come on. Something went down. I feel like. I think only things were about to go down. All right, fine. I'll go with you on that. Okay, so, I mean, that was, like, Kevin in a nutshell. However, we need to back up a little bit on him and do his little flashback. He did have that scene where there was just, like, a voicemail. It was, like, Kevin married Sophie. It wasn't even a voicemail. In those days, that was just at the answering machine. Oh, pardon me. You're right. I didn't say the right words. That's correct. Yes. So, he married Sophie, and we get this crazy awkward scene of them at dinner being as gross as possible with their inside jokes and thinking everything is adorable. Do you remember Sophie, young Sophie being so giggly and and nothing as a person? I think they were just trying to make her look naive and innocent, that kind of thing. But since we success know that she grew up to be kind of bitter. What's her job? She's a nurse. Right. Like, I, and that would have only been like 10 seconds, like not that far from this point, you know, she like went into like the medical field and stuff. I don't know. That doesn't seem so flighty or anything as she seemed to be as a person, you know, mm, I don't know. Point. Like, cause like, it's like, she didn't get into, she wasn't into acting or, or something that where you might be like, well, you know, whatever she can, she can be like, kind of like a free spirit. Like nursing doesn't feel like a free spirit kind of job. None of the nurses I know are free spirits. Oh, I think that they're like smart and, you know. Fairly buttoned down individuals. No, but I would just say that they're, but they're, they don't quite have this same level of like, just kind of, we keep saying free spirits. So I don't want to be rude. So yeah, she's a little, little out there but you know i mean so overall what did you think of their whole marriage story and the fact that they saw princess bride and we had to listen to rebecca sing that stupid song which i did not like gross and lame <laughs> i felt the same way i hated it didn't feel romantic it felt gross and it felt weird it felt super duper bonkers weird for rebecca to throw an adult cocktail party ish thing with her three kids Like, it felt so weird. Like, are you serenading, like, 17-year-olds in your living room? Like, this is really, really weird. As, like, a peer, like, hey, I have a wedding present for you. It's like, hey, gross. (laughs) Like, it's weird. Don't ever give that to somebody. No, it's weird. It was weird. The one part of that whole dinner that I really loved and it was all about Rebecca was when she got sick of the kids acting a fool in the kitchen and she came in and fucking cracked their asses. 
That was a good scene. Um, It was the first time I feel like we've seen Rebecca in all these seasons put her foot down and be like, I am the madre up in here and you're going to listen. It's about effing time. Because you could see the non-family members out in the and out in the other room uh, <laughs> that was they could amazing. hear everything that was going on and so i felt that that sting of when you know your kids are sort of besmirching the family name if you will in front of others and you want that shit to end right now <laughs> nice you know you know there's been like another situation where they had beth and toby and miguel doing something together and so i liked it that they had like beth and mark and sophie and miguel at that dinner table mm. while the pearsons were having an issue like I, I i always have loved that one episode where like beth and toby and miguel like have that time together like i thought was like a really fun episode so i like when they do that when they put like the outlaws I like that, but it just felt weird. It felt like having a tea party felt so dress up, make believe weird to try to have this. Again, Miguel brings out wine. No one here is 21. Right. What is happening? Should he open the wine? Let it breathe? Like what? What are we doing? It's completely up to you, Miguel. You're corrupting minors in a major way. This is just weird. I thought that was strange. What did you think of Miguel's wine allegory, Paul? It had a dual meaning, I thought. Oh, did you? Did you hear a little duality up yeah, in here? Duality. I, I thought he was telling it to her with regard to getting through a rough patch in his in the kids' lives. But I think we're all <laughs> he's winking at us that he means that he's gonna wait around for her to ha- to be ready to, you know, come around to as as Toby calls him, Miggy Stardust. <laughs> Miggy. That's hilarious. You know, I was a little confused because we know that Miguel and Rebecca reconnect. Much later. Much later. When Randall has, um, Randall and Beth have just had tests. That was like that night. That's why she was there. That's when they learned the Facebook. I feel like there's obviously more story there because they're to, they seem to be together on mm-hmm. some level now when the kids are only like a, what like two years out of the whole yeah. scene with jack so i'm kind of like something that comes along and sorts of sort of like cools them out well yeah because there was always sort of that feeling that i know that like, like logistically that miguel was already divorced like before jack even passed away you know because remember he shows up like at their at like their I forget Christmas or Thanksgiving and is all like, she took the kids to go do something. He's like ruining mm-hmm. their time. So I know that that happens before Jack passes, but it's like, I, I don't know. I'm kind of intrigued here. Like it, they didn't make it a big dun, 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 but it's like something has to happen between these two that splits them in a way that they don't even speak to one another, much less be close friends anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm intrigued about that. That was like a little nugget. Um, again, you know, of course we have the little sitch that popped out of that. Was there anything else that came out of that dinner, really? I mean, I felt like everybody... Just the just the Beth with the Tabasco. Um, oh, I thought that was sweet. What did you think of that? I loved the way she handled herself because the whole family froze up, yeah. and, you know, when she mentioned about the dad and the, all that stuff. And she just kept plowing through and be like, Act, this is the explanation. You'll see. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm just trying to share something nice with you. And, it, and I think she had a lot of poise in something that might have sent a lot of girls like... Holy shit. Well, Kate is her counterpart. And you know, Kate's not like bringing Jack's favorite fill in the blank to a dinner party at another person's house. You know, like she'd act all awkward and weird about it. So mm-hmm. I did feel super good that Beth was honoring her dad in a way that was so appropriate. And I, I really hope that that's what the Pearson 
kids figure out how to do when as they move forward. In their in her family, they talk about dead dads. In the Pearson family, they do not yet. They're still so wounded. And again, I'm just going back to the the way that it happened and that they just didn't have the same ability to grieve. You know, they were still almost in shock, you know? Mm -hmm. So, all right. So these three episodes, how do you feel about them as our sort of like chunky middle here before we get to the chunky fall finale section? There was some good stuff. There was some, I mean, it was very Randall heavy, but... Overall, some very enjoyable reveals, like the way they played the reveal of of did Cassidy stay in the in the trailer. I mean, you, it was a little bit expected, but it was still nicely done. And, or the um, the golf reveal mm-hmm. uh, when was, he like hits into the water, he's like, "This one's for you, Dad." It was nice and sly, you know. Yeah. That was a good one. So yeah, these these all had the hallmarks of of well-crafted This Is Us episodes. You know, speaking of that, I hope that, um, you know, the stuff with with Kate and Toby, the performance thing is just suddenly remedied in that same episode, you know, like he's just able to go right away. And like little moments like that, I feel like, you know, the thing about the fat clothes and she was like, well, I'll just cut them up, you know? And like it was funny that it was like the wrong pair of pants. Like that was funny, um, you know, stuff like that. But I, I wonder if they're putting too tight a bow on some of those issues that are like obviously things that are going to continue to be a problem or would be in a normal relationship. You know, he's not just over his performance problems in a day. You know, she's not over the fact that he's losing weight, not her in a day. Well, and then that the, what, the losing the weight thing has a couple of facets. One of them being that he needs to go to the gym in order to do it. Right. And that, that is going to sacrifice time with the family and sacrifice his time with her for sure. And she still brings that up. So yeah, that's not going away. It's going to get dicey, man. Okay. So I look forward to checking out six, seven, no. S- seven, eight, nine. I look forward to checking out seven, eight, nine, and um, we'll give you guys that mega episode that you can enjoy over your holiday break. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. Meow. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D A L E Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.